Hey everybody, you're listening to the Clearer Thinking Podcast from Grace Valley Church in Dundas. I'm your host, Paul Vandenbrink, the lead pastor of Grace Valley Church. Thanks for listening. All right, guys, what we're doing this week is we are revisiting the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Now, every good story story is character-driven. That is, the best stories are less about the plot development and more about the character development. And this story has some incredible character development, even though it's really short. It's just one chapter long, but it is packed with all kinds of interesting details. And the key, of course, is reading the story carefully so you don't miss those rich details. Now, on Sunday... Mark walked us through a pretty detailed character study of Daniel. And he's the hero, right? He's the protagonist. He's the main st- main character of the story. But there's other players, too. They play minor roles, but they're just as fascinating. You know, the administrators and satraps, for example, they're pretty important to the story. Um, they're the ones that plot to get rid of Daniel. They're jealous and conniving. They're racist. Check verse 13. They're classist. They have no conscience. They are the worst, and they are the antagonists. And then, of course, there's Darius. Now, Darius is a fascinating character. I find myself drawn to him. Even as, as Mark was preaching on Sunday, I was, I was just found myself thinking about this Darius guy a lot. He is so interesting. Who is this guy? And, and how is he presented in this story? What are we supposed to make of him by the end of the story? I mean, those are just some of the questions we could ask about him. And I, I'd like to think about him for a few minutes together. So let's, let's think about Darius from Daniel chapter 6 a little bit. First of all, who was this guy? Well, to be honest, we're not 100% sure. It's, it's actually kind of complicated. But let me give you what I think is the best explanation of who this somewhat mysterious figure is. So Darius was not actually the king of the entire empire at the time. The king of the empire was Cyrus the Great, and he's actually mentioned in the last verse of Daniel 6. This is the Persian empire that I'm talking about. Darius was a Medo-Persian governor or king of Babylonia under Cyrus the Great. It was part of the Persian empire. So Immediately following the death of Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, in around 539 BC, Darius the Mede is said to have received the kingdom. You get that from Daniel 5, verse 31, which means that he was probably made king over the realm of the Babylonians, which you can see in chapter 9, verse 1. And it was Cyrus the Great who made him the king. Belshazzar, by the way, was the son of that famous Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. So this Darius, he's not the biggest cheese in the empire, which is somewhat indicated by the fact that he couldn't break the law of the Medes and the Persians. I mean, I know it's a saying that uh, when there was a royal decree made by the Medo-Persian king, it couldn't be broken. But back then, the ultimate king of the empire was not subject to the law. He was the law. So the emperor could really do whatever he wanted with the law. Darius couldn't. He couldn't just break the law. So he was likely not that king. Uh, But he is very powerful. 
And by the way, he's probably between 60 and 65 years old at the time. And Daniel, uh, if you're interested, by this time, he was probably in his 80s. Uh, so he had lived his his life as a civil servant in the various governments of Babylon. Anyway, that's who Darius is. Now, how is he presented in the story? Well, at first, he's presented as pretty vain, isn't he? He's he's proud. Here he is. He's king of this empire, and his officials come to him, and they come to him with this idea. Hey, king, make a decree that for the next 30 days, no one can call on any man or God for anything but to you. In other words, they say, hey, what do you think about being God for a month? <laughs> and, and he says, yes, because they flatter him, right? What's flattery? It's the art of telling a person exactly what they think of themselves. <laughs> and it works um, because Darius has a pretty high view of himself. He's proud. He's vain. Pride always thinks it can exceed its natural limitations, and that's Darius. And frankly, you know, he's kind of stupid too because of his pride. Um, he's so easily manipulated. Uh, but that's pride for you. Pride is easily manipulated. It's like in the garden. You remember um, the serpent talking to Eve, and Eve thought that she should decide, decide for herself what was wrong, Um she was proud too, and boom, she falls for the serpent's trap. So pride makes us easily manipulated. I could say a lot more on this, but we got to keep going. So he's powerful, he's old, and he's proud. That's what he's like. And he goes along with the injunction. But then he finds out that Daniel has broken the law. And he's really, really upset. In verse 14, it says, When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. So he's racking his brain with ideas on how to save Daniel. Uh, maybe I'll put him in armor before he goes into the lion's den. No, I can't do that. I know, I'll overfeed the lions so they won't be hungry. No, I can't do that either. Why is he so distressed? It might simply be because Daniel was good at his job, but I don't think so. I think there's more to it. I think it's because of who Daniel was. See, earlier it says that Daniel had exceptional qualities. Other translations uh, say he had an excellent spirit. Daniel was a man of integrity. He was a good man. He had an excellent spirit. He was likable. He was honorable. Darius loved this guy. That's what I think. Why was he in love with Daniel? Because Daniel was light, you know? He was light. He was attractive. He was beautiful in the way that he lived. But Darius was conflicted because he loved his reputation. See, if he tried to save Daniel, he would look weak. He'd look like a flip-flopper, you know? So he's kind of stuck. He's not like Daniel, in fact. Daniel is a man of conviction. He refuses to stop worshiping God. Why? Because it is right. He does the right thing, even if it's hard. Darius doesn't. He knows what's right, but he won't do it. And again, it's because of his pride 
because of his vanity. He loves his reputation. He loves his status. He loves his position more than he loves what's right. But he's conflicted about it. He does feel guilty about it. He tells Daniel, I hope your God saves you. (laughs) Even though at this time, he is supposed to be the only representative of God within the empire. He still says that. I hope your God saves you. It's kind of remarkable, really. It's like he's already acknowledging, at least a little bit, that he's not God. And the story says that he stays up all night worried sick about Daniel. He can't eat. He can't be entertained. He's a wreck. He's like a worried mom or dad waiting for their teenager to come home after going out at night. By the way, as an aside, compare the troubled conscience of the king with that of Daniel. Daniel is sleeping soundly, all snuggled up between two big furry pillows. He has a clear conscience. And you know what, friends? A clear conscience is a tremendous gift from God. You can sleep but not Darius. He is racked with guilt and worry. At the crack of dawn, he rushes to the lion's den. Now, remember, he's an old man by now, and he's running to check on Daniel. You don't do that in the ancient world, especially men of such high standing as a king, but he has lost all sense of propriety. All he cares about is finding out if Daniel is okay. And of course, when he gets there, he says, Daniel, Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Now, this is so interesting. It's it's quite incredible. The living God. He calls God the living God. What is up with that? Here's what he's saying. This is a test. If you're alive, Daniel then your God, which is what Darius calls Daniel, God, Daniel's God, your God, if you live, then your God is a living God. He's real. He's not fake, like some have been led to believe. And when Daniel responds that he is alive, and he does that in an interesting way, but I'm not going to get into that, Darius breaks out into that poem at the end of the chapter, calling God the living God. And he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So what are we to make of this? Did Daniel convert? I was hoping that I could have a definitive answer for you. Uh, I did a bunch of research and looking into that very question, and you get different answers. John MacArthur thinks so, uh, and some scholars that I consulted think so, but I'm not so sure. Here's why. First of all, Darius, again, he issues a decree that everyone in the empire must fear and reverence God. Now, it's good to fear and reverence God. But you can't do that by decree. You can't make people fear God if what you mean by that is convert to Christianity. That's not how the gospel works. So that's the first reason. Secondly, Darius says you can actually fear and reverence God in a very pagan way. 
No, sorry. Did I say? Sorry. I'm not saying Darius said this. I'm saying you can actually fear and reverence God in a very pagan way. Now, that's a whole podcast in itself. But there are people in churches simply because they fear and reverence God. They have a healthy respect for him. But what God wants is faith, faith and love and obedience. And like I said, even today, there's lots of people with a healthy respect for God in a way. Many people say they believe in God, right? That there is a power out there, a living supernatural being. But that doesn't mean they believe in God and trust in God. I mentioned uh, a couple podcasts ago, I think, uh, Tom Holland, the atheist historian who wrote Dominion. It's a huge book recounting how basically all the wonderful things we appreciate about Western civilization are rooted in the Judeo-Christian faith tradition. So he has a tremendous respect for the Christian faith. In a sense, he fears and reverences God, but he's not actually a believer. Another reason is that Darius calls God the God of Daniel. He doesn't call God my God, or he doesn't say that he is now the God of the Persians. He is not like Naaman. Remember a few weeks ago we studied him, and Naaman said there is no God but the God of Israel. Darius is respectful but not really committal. <laughs> it's almost like he adds God to the pantheon of gods that they worshipped. He's not exclusively do devoted to the one and only God that actually exist, exists. Man, there is a lot of that in the world. You can't get around it, guys. True faith is a recognition, recognition of the one and only true God in existence to the exclusion of all others. I know that's not a popular belief in our modern culture, to be so exclusive, to say that there's only one God. But you know, the truth is, it's just as exclusive a belief to think that there are lots of gods, or lots of ways to God, or no God at all. Everybody is exclusive in their beliefs. Don't let anybody tell you differently. You can't escape that. It's just that a lot of folks don't realize it. And a lot of folks think that believing that there are many ways to God or many gods is, is more palatable, is less exclusive, but it's still exclusive. Anyway, that's the character study on Darius. Was he a believer in the end? I don't know, but I, I, I'm not willing to say he was. But you know what? I'd be happy to be surprised. I'd be happy to go into the new creation in heaven and meet him and have him surprise me and have him say, ha, on your podcast, you said you didn't think I was a believer, but I'm here. So there. That'd be great. All right. That's the character study on Darius. What a fascinating character. But I don't want to end on that note. I want to end with a bit of an application for us to think about. I want us to think about what I'm going to call... <laughs> The Evangelistic Magnetism of Integrity. What a catchy name, eh? The Evangelistic Magnetism of Integrity. Think of the effect of Daniel on the lives of King Nebuchadnezzar and King Darius, those that he served. You know, even when Darius made that decree, even though if it was wrongheaded, 
You know what it did? God used a pagan king to announce his majesty and splendor to the known world. (laughs) Wow. But you know, every day we rub shoulders with people who are watching us. Here in Daniel 6, we see that some of us are watching who become jealous and vindictive. And don't be surprised by that. I mean, Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. John 15, verse 18. But others are attracted to what they observe, like Darius. See, when Christ is our life and he is living through us, we become an aroma of life to some, but an an aroma of death to others. That's 2 Corinthians 2. The integrity of a believer's life will demonstrate to the world whether Christianity is true or false, friends. I want to be a vocal evangelist. I want to tell people about Jesus. But you know what? Our our mission is to live lives of such integrity that it demonstrates to the world that Christianity is true. Because you see, the world is making value judgments about us by our attitudes and actions. Have we made the right choices? We might be the only Bible those around us will ever read. So ask yourself this question. What is the gospel according to blank? According to, insert your name here, what is the gospel according to Paul? In other words, people around us often judge the truthfulness of Christianity by its effect in our lives. Here's how you know you're following in the footsteps of Daniel, and frankly, in the footsteps of the greater Daniel. Some people will be really mad at you, and other people will be falling in love with you and with your God. For most of us, frankly, the truth is nobody is mad at us because of Jesus, and nobody is really attracted to us because of Jesus either. But it doesn't have to be that way. You might not have the gift of evangelism, but that is okay. You can still use the evangelistic magnetism of your integrity with the people you know. It means something. It did with Darius. They will know we are Christians by our love. All right, gang. That is it for another episode of the Clearer Thinking Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, we'll see you next time.